Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas, and we are doing Life Over Coffee. Our ministry has been voted 14 years in a row as the best discipleship counseling ministry in America. Now, there's only four five people actually who have voted. That's me, my wife, and our three children. But nevertheless, uh, that is impressive that your own family appreciates what you're doing. There are a few other people that have appreciated it as well. And so if you like what we're doing, please come over to our ministry, check out our resources. They are free. Let me give you our mission statement. We exist to bring hope and help for you and others by creating resources that spark conversations for transformation. Now, if you want to spark a conversation for transformation, then I have the million-dollar question here for you. For husbands and wives, mostly for the husbands I'm talking to today, and here is the question. What does nourish and cherish your wife mean? I want to spend a few minutes talking about that. And, well, it could be one of the most transformative questions that you ever ask. I call it a million-dollar question. And if you think it's that valuable to you, we are open for donations. And so please do not hesitate. Uh, We would love for you to support our ministry. How did you like that segue? We would love for you to support our ministry because we, our business model is we give our resources away, and so we give the store to you, uh, but we can only do that because it's underwritten by people who are able, and I know that everyone is not able, and so I totally get that, and I'm, I'm really fine with that. I really am. Now I'm being serious, but if you can support our ministry, please do, but if not, There's two ways that you can support our ministry without finances. One, and this is the most important one, pray for this ministry, lifeovercoffee.com. Pray for our ministry. And then number two, share our resources with 1,000 of your closest friends. I mean, just, just scatter them out. Share them. Print them off. Randomly leave articles in the seats or the pews at your church building, in the chairs. Uh, Send them to friends and say, hey, I want you to read, watch, or listen to this. Those are two critical ways that you can support our ministry. And if you could do that, I really would appreciate it. All right, so let me get into the million-dollar question. What does nourish and cherish your wife mean? Paul told us husbands to nourish and cherish our wives. It is stunning when you realize how much unfolds from those two words. Did you know that if we husbands, me, Ricky, and you, that if we understand and practice those two words, nourish and cherish, in our marriages, the benefit for us and our wives is invaluable, including the impact the marriage would have on our children if you have children. There is a ripple effect that if we can grapple with these two words and implement them practically into our marriage, it will not only benefit us personally, it will not only Uh, fill out the marriage in a robust way, but the ripple effect would impact our children. In fact, it would impact our children generationally. And so what does it mean to nourish and cherish your wife? Well, how about if you buckle up 
and let's go for a ride as we discover the practical responsibility and opportunity in this aspect of the art of husbandry. The word husbandry, it means farmer, and and that is what a husband is. You'll see the word husbandman in like the King James Bible. It's a great word. Love the word, a husbandman. He is a farmer. He is a tiller of the soil. We husbands, we practice the art of husbandry. And well, if you're going to be a good husbandman, then nourishing and cherishing is absolutely essential. So buckle up. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. Verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Notice the gospel connection. Connecting what we do as husbands to the gospel, he is Christ. Do you ever remember playing the hiding game? Uh, where you hid something from your friends and it was their job to find it. I don't know if kids do that today or not. I don't know what kids do. I think they play the video game all the time. But when we were kids, we didn't have video games, so we just hid stuff. And so we had the the hiding game, and, and we played it a lot when we were little. And so what we would do is we would get a thing, whatever it was, an object, and we would hide it. I would hide a thing from my four brothers, and they would search for it. And they didn't know where it was. They'd go away and, like, you know, count the 20 or something. And then they would come back and I'd have it hidden somewhere. And then if they got close to that thing, I would say something like, You're getting warm. Or you're getting warmer if they were getting real close. And then you're red hot. If they were nearly on top of it, that was the hiding game. Maybe you called it something else. And, of course, if they were moving away from that object that was hidden from them, I would say something like, you're getting cold, which was their clue that that they were going in the wrong direction. I was thinking about this child's game during a counseling session I had once upon a time, and I illustrated what Paul was saying in Ephesians 5.29 about nourishing and cherishing. You see, Paul was counseling the Ephesians, the men, the husbands, to nourish and cherish their wives. Paul was teaching them that a God-centered biblical husband is one who nourishes. Now, the word nourish means to grow. Grow, And that's, again, where you come back to the word husbandman, the art of husbandry. And so the word nourish means to grow, and, and the word cherish means, means to warm. And so Paul was telling the Ephesian husbands that you are to grow your wife and you are to warm your wife. And so to illustrate my point to the husband that I was counseling, I, I distinguish between warm and cold which gets back to the hiding game. You're getting warm, you're getting cold. And I was telling him that there are specific attitudes and actions that a husband could have where he could warm his wife. You're getting warm, you're getting hot. Or you can push her out into the cold by your attitudes, your words, your actions. Now, in just a couple of moments, I'm, I'm going to give you some word choices. I'm going to, to read off a string 
of words that I shared with this husband. And I added a few others after that conversation as I thought about them. And you can print off this article if you want, and you could circle the attitudes and the actions that best represent how you think about and how you treat your wife. And so I want to give you a, a long list of warm words. And then for a bonus, because we men like bonus opportunities, you could print this off for your wife. And you can ask her to circle the ones you excel in and ask her to highlight the things where you need improvement. You remember when your teacher would send back your report card and say, Ricky needs improvement here. Because what will happen if you ask your wife to do this, like say privately without your surveillance, you might find that your wife has a different perspective than you do. I know for me, I typically have a higher view of myself than what Lucia, my wife, does. And I've noticed that other men besides me can tend maybe sometimes to have an overinflated view of their husbandry skills. Instructively, whenever I advise men without their wives in the room, and whenever I solicit information from them without their wives in the room, they tend to give me a better assessment of themselves than their marriages. One of the most common questions that I would ask in this context, I would say, how, how did your week go? And, oh, man, it went great. It went good. You know, everything's fine. You know, just a little, I mean, a little bumpy, but everything's okay. And then the wife comes in and say, how did your week go? And it's like you're talking to two entirely different people. That may have happened on more than one occasion. And when we're asking about a warm list or a cold list, the wife comes to the next meeting and, and she presents a strikingly different perspective, but it is a valuable one because nobody knows you better than your wife. And more than likely, she knows you better than you do in some ways. Not every way, obviously, but in some ways. And, and so what I'm asking here about you circling areas you excel in, areas where you need improvement, and then asking your wife to do it, it could sound like a dare, or it might even sound like manipulation, but it's not. It, it really isn't. If you're serious about your marriage, I mean, if you're really serious about your marriage, then ask your wife. We are gospel-centered people. Part of that means you have nothing to fear, nothing to hide, nothing to protect. Our greatest problem was, was taken care of at the cross of Christ. We are free. And so if you are serious about your marriage, then yeah, print, print this article off and give it to your wife. Say, hey, I would love your assessment without me hovering. This interaction that you have with your wife could be one of those pivotal points in your relationship for three reasons. Number one, you can model humility. Number two, she can exhibit grace because she will want to respond to you with humility and with grace, not in a punitive form or a nagging form. And so you can model humility. She can exhibit grace, and both of you can glorify God.
All right, so I want to give you a list of warm words and see if you're getting warmer or getting hot because you are you are nourishing and cherishing your wife. You are growing her and warming her. Here's some words in no particular order. You are, you could say it this way, husband, I am, and then circle all the words that apply. Gentle, cross-centered, romantic, humble, forgiving, respecting, talking, you're a communicating husband, edifying, you're building up, sacrificing, transparent, esteeming. This is not self-esteem. I'm talking about what Paul said in Philippians 2, esteeming others more than yourself. Kind, joyful, grace-filled. These are the things that your wife is experiencing from you. Friendly, affectionate, cherished, of course, agreeable, honoring, accepting, discipling. You disciple her. Providing, now, providing is not just financial. I mean, all of the things that I've said just thus far, you're providing spiritual nourishment, cherishing, nourishing, growing. Confession, huge. You're confessing your sins, agreeing with God, agreeing with her whenever you sin. Modeling, leadership, loving, caring, serving. Are you getting warmer? Are these some of the things that characterize you? They do characterize nourishing, cherishing. Let me finish this. Dependable, honorable, encourager, mature, fun, patient, passionate. Just as there is a warm list that you just heard, there's also a, a chill list list too, as you might imagine. If a man is not warming his wife, he is cooling her by her by his attitude, his words, his behaviors. You see, there's no neutrality in any marriage. And so as for the chill list that I'm going to share with you, I want you to know that I have done nearly every one of them in our marriage, and I'm not bragging, I'm regrettably, unfortunately, and so I'm not saying these as though I am somewhat detached from the things that I'm going to share with you on this chill list. And though our relationship, our marriage relationship is pretty terrific now, it was not always this way. We've gone through some hard times, and, and many of you have too, and maybe some of you are in it. And that's why I'm, I'm doing this, because th this was pivotal to me. I had to come to the place to where... You know, I'm going in one direction or the other. I'm warming her or I'm chilling her. There was a time when I just did not care so much for my wife, and she viscerally and physically responded to my sinful attitudes, my behaviors toward her. You see, there is a direct correlation between how a man thinks and responds to his wife and the state of his marriage. If a man likes his wife... The marriage will be in a good direction. It'll be headed in a good place. If a man does not like his wife, the marriage will be on hard times. You cannot fake genuine affection for anyone. You can't fake genuine gratitude for someone. Uh, maybe you've had this situation at your church meeting, for example, or within your church body. Uh, where you had a dust-up with, with someone and, and you reconciled. And for those of you that 
aren't watching the video, I'm putting that in air quotes. And so you kind of shake hands and kind of exchange some sort of forgiveness. And you go away and you just sense something is wrong because you just can't fake it. Well, if you live with somebody 24-7, you can't fake genuine gratitude or affection. It will be felt. If he has it, if he has uh, genuine affection, uh, genuine gratitude for his wife, he will exhibit the character traits and the behaviors in the warm list. He can't do otherwise. I mean, if, if you have genuine affection and gratitude for your wife, those characteristics, and you can add to that list, it's not an exhaustive list. He will demonstrate the characters and behaviors in the chill list if he doesn't have genuine gratitude and genuine affection for her, for his wife. Her radiance will be a clue to the warmth she experiences from her husband. She will radiate the imperishable beauty of Christ. It's not that the husband is the cause of the imperishable beauty. Christ is. But the husband cooperates with Christ because he has a responsibility. And that imperishable beauty is not muted, but it continues to flourish, nourish, because of the nourishing, the growing, and the cherishing, and the warming. Her radiance then will be a clue to the warmth that she experiences from her husband, and she will feel and she will show his affection. Of course, like a dance partner, the opposite is true. His wife will react to his poor leadership and a lousy attitude. All right, so let me get through this list quickly. This is the chill list, and I trust that there's virtually nothing in here that you could circle because there's nothing in here that's true of you. But if there is, then just quietly thank God for his, for his encouraging mer- mercies that we're calling conviction and that he does convict you and motivate you to want to change. All right, the chill list. You're, you're not getting warmer. You're getting colder. A husband is harsh, unkind, hatred, belittling, anger, selfishness, rejection, devaluing, passivity, disrespect, accusing, hostile, self-sufficient, individualistic. The husband is a loner, unforgiveness, criticalness, disapproving, apathy, abuse, Bitterness, hypocrisy, boasting, silence, proud, coarse, porn, self-righteous, blames, cynical, lying, I'm almost done, immodest, suspicious, disagreeable, and stubborn. If I went too fast through that list, then I would appeal to you to slow it down by getting this article, and the title of the article is what does nourish and cherish your wife mean? You can find it on our website. I would encourage you to get it and just just be honest. And maybe it could be that your marriage is in the place where you can't have this conversation with your wife at this point because of the state of the marriage. I, I get it. I, I understand that the marriage can be in such a place that two people can't be civil enough to talk about this because it'll be more like grenade launching to each other and that 
happens, unfortunately. But as you listen to the chill list, how did you do? As you listen to the warm list, are you warm and getting warmer or are you cold and getting colder? Now, somebody I know will interject and they'll say, but you don't know my wife. If you lived with her, you would, you would not pass the test, Rick. And I've heard this too, Rick. What, I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, my wife got that article and she used it against me. And I've received that. And that's unfortunate that people would use our content as a cudgel to beat up somebody. That's really unfortunate. People do that with the Bible, too, and, and, I, and I get it, and I'm aware of that. I'm very much aware of it. I'm sad when that happens because that's not the intent of any of our resources, and if someone did that, it's truly unfortunate. But I, I've heard this complaint as well. Rick, you, you don't know my wife, and if you lived with her, you wouldn't pass this test, this warm, cold test. I understand. I hear you. I understand what you're saying. As, as I said myself, I mean, there was a time when I didn't care so much for my wife, and I could have maintained a similar defense, because I'm not saying that she was perfect. But was she like this when you were dating? Was your wife like this when you were dating? Now, if this is a gotcha question, I suppose, because if she was like this when you were dating, why in the world did you marry such a mean woman? And so rather than focusing on what your wife is like, there is work to do, I'm sure, for some of you. I, I get it. And so I'm not ignoring that, but we can't accomplish all of those things in a, a brief time. So I want you to focus on a better question. And so if you happen to be one of those, it says, you know, if you live with my wife, you, you'd have a problem too. Do you hear what you are saying if you are saying that? The individual who says that, is saying that you do not have to do for your wife what Christ did for you, assuming you're a Christian. What do I mean by that? Well, you're saying it's okay for you to be unlovable to Christ and for Christ to love you in your unlovable state, but it's not suitable for your wife to be unlovable to you and for me to suggest that you start nourishing and cherishing your wife. And so we can't have it both ways. We were unlovable and Christ took the initiative to love us. And now we want to imitate that gospel in our marriages. And so maybe our wives are unlovable. Men, we have to step up and lead. Now, again, I know that probably for some of you, many of you maybe, your wives need to do something too. Yes. But again, we're talking to men here. In Ephesians 5.32, Paul, in this passage, Paul said this. This is the last verse of the paragraph. He said, this mystery is profound. But I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's, he's giving the game away here. He said, hey, I'm talking about Christ. That's who, I'm, that's who I'm talking about. You and I do not have the biblical right to withhold nourishing and cherishing from our wives because they're not meeting our expectations. That's another gospel that the Bible does not condone now, perhaps nourishing and cherishing, maybe 
the nourishing and cherishing that needs to ensue now, maybe what that means for you or some of you because of where your marriage is, maybe what nourishing and cherishing your wife means is that you just need to be alone with God. Maybe your wife won't even know that you're nourishing and cherishing her because you're doing prerequisite work. Your nourishing and cherishing means I've got to get along with God because my heart is not right. Because if you try to nourish and cherish her with some of the warm words, for example, and your attitude is not right before God, then again, as I said earlier, you can't fake gratitude and you can't fake genuine affection. It took me nearly two—this is true, true story. It took me nearly two years in my closet praying, asking God to give me a renewed affection for my wife. It was not easy. It's not as easy as repenting and moving on to the next thing like you're flipping a switch. And so I repent, and and I'm going to jump over here on the warm list, and I'm going to start doing some of these things. No. My heart was selfish. I was angry. I was stubborn. It took many hours before God. Not necess- it, it, Part of that wasn't a literal closet, but part of it wasn't. <laughs> he was praying without ceasing almost, riding in my car, walking around somewhere, asking God, begging God, getting before God and asking him to realign my heart to his gospel. Imagine the Savior saying, If you behave in a manner that's acceptable to me, I'm going to save you. Oh, my. Well, then we all would go to hell. To withhold nourishing and cherishing from your wife until she makes the first move, that means if she behaved more acceptably, I would be more inclined to love her the way Paul is suggesting. Paul would never condone such adulteration of the gospel. He tied the marriage to the gospel and expected us husbands to model the gospel he proclaimed. His expectation for covenantal partners is to bring the union into gospel focus. The primary person that Paul was talking about in Ephesians 5.32 was Christ. He had Christ and his relationship to the church in view, and he is teaching us about the love of Christ and how that active love changed us. Christ initiated, and we were the recipients of that transformative love. And then Paul transitions, after he's talking about Christ, by drawing an analogy regarding the husband and wife relationship. And he's telling us husbands to love our wives similar to Christ's love for his church. Of course, Christ loves his church through his ongoing, nourishing, and cherishing. Christ does not hate his body. If you are a Christian... You have been the benefactor of the Savior's loving activity. You are growing and changing through the attitudes and behaviors of God's work in your life. Sanctification is what God does for us because we are part of His body. Because we're part of the body, we are affected by His activity 
in our lives. And so he sees it as his job to mature, to grow the body. And in like manner, your wife is part of who you are. You and your wife are one flesh, not two. To dislike your flesh, for me to hate my flesh, well, that is, that is insanity. The culture would call it a, a disorder. I would not. I would just say it was sinful. Uh, it, it leads to suicide. Or if you hate your body in a marriage, it leads to divorce. Divorce is the aggravated amputation of the flesh from the body. You see, your wife has a predisposition to respond to you, to react to you, not to be repulsed by you. Go back to when you were dating. She was not repulsed by you. She responded favorably to you. And again, if she was repulsed by you in the dating relationship, we have other things to talk about. But, but she has a predisposition to respond favorably to you. And if you nourish and cherish your wife well, she will respond to your reasonable and loving care, similarly to how the church responds to Christ. Through your careful cultivation of nourishing and cherishing, she will start to grow and mature. Now, caveat here, it is true that she must grow in Christ despite you. Because I could hear some women say, well, I don't, need a, I don't need a man to grow in Christ. True. True. You don't. But you're one flesh. And you can try to be as healthy as you want to be with gangrene in your body, but you're going to have a hard time growing with gangrene or some other infection. So yeah, yeah, your wife will grow despite you, but that's not how things should be entirely. Husbands, we have a calling, and the calling is not to hate our flesh, but to nourish and cherish it. A wife is a reflection and a reactor of the husband's care. And though he can be impressive in his vocation, and though he can receive many accolades that come his way, the real test for a man is the reflection and the reaction of his wife. If your wife is nourished and cherished according to the warm list that I gave you earlier, then her growth will be apparent. Think with me for a moment about Christ. Let's say that Christ was the big man on the campus. He was the big man on some other campus, and he was neglecting the church. And so he was impressive over here, but he neglected his body. And his church was growing bitter and distant by the day. That would not make sense. Similarly, it doesn't make sense for a husband to seek other interest elsewhere outside of the home I'm not saying it's not bad. We want to be successful in our business endeavors. But let's say that that was his primary focus while distancing himself from his wife. Some women married for 10 years or more have that wilting, withdrawn, degenerative look. Not this warm, cherish, nourish, growing look. No, it's wilting and withdrawn and degenerative after 10 years of being married to a husbandman. Their husbands have been growing and warming other things, and the nourishing and cherishing these women were supposed to receive went toward those other pursuits. 
These wives are wilting on the vine, a wilting that is different and deeper from external beauty. I'm talking about this internal beauty. I was talking earlier about imperishable beauty that Christ gives, but a husband has a responsibility to cooperate with what uh, Christ gives so that an imperishable beauty, uh, imbue, imperishable beauty can continue to amplify this is what Peter was getting at in 1 Peter 3. He said, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet, quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is what God gives all women when they are regenerated in imperishable beauty. And Peter is saying, no, anybody can paint a barn and change a few boards, but, but what you have is still quite evident, a decaying structure. There is an internal beauty that you cannot disguise from the well-nourished and well-cherished wife. We can damage the imperishable beauty of Christ. Many externally beautiful women in this world are spiritually rotting because they don't have that imperishable beauty. There is a lonely, lost, and worn feel to them. They don't glow no matter what color they dye their hair, how many times they Botox, or even if they bought every pair of shoes and dressed on Fifth Avenue. They are spiritually withering. It's a sad thing to see. You can look at their wedding pictures and you can see the life and the hope that radiated from their faces. Then you see them 10 years later and the inward beauty from their special day is gone. They have wilted. The most beautiful woman that you'll ever see is not a 20-something hottie, but a 60-something beauty who has been nourished and cherished by her husband. She glows. She has something that Hollywood cannot replicate. She has imperishable beauty that Christ gave her. And we husbands are the caretakers of this kind of beauty. If you have been married for at least five years, the imperishable beauty of your wife, it should be evident even if only in embryonic form. But if you've been married for 10 years or more, who you are as a person and what you have done to your wife are evident, as shown by what your wife reflects through your nourishing, cherishing care. The doctrine of progressive sanctification is the context in which the Savior operates on Christians. The job of the Savior is to remove every spot and wrinkle and any such thing that defiles his church. This is part of the, what Paul was saying in Ephesians 5. Husband, God has called us to do similarly to our wives, to imitate the gospel. I'm not saying you're going to get all the wrinkles out of her. Out of her. She's going to get more wrinkles, but that's external. Our marriage covenant is the context in which we nourish and cherish, which we cooperate with God in the maturation of our wives. Here's the question. Are they getting warmer? Go back to the hiding game and 
say to any husband as they're moving about the room, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, or you are not. I've titled this, What Does Nourish and Cherish Your Wife Mean? I want to wrap up by asking a, a few questions, but I do want to share with you Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. I know many of you know it, but it's good to hear in context of this talk. Paul said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What does nourish and cherish your wife mean? Okay, so question number one. Husband, will you work through the two lists, the warm list, the cold list, or the chill list? Will you work through those two lists, noting where you believe you are excelling? Praise God for appropriating God's grace in your life. That is something we want to applaud and thank God for. And then also circle where you need to improve. Number two, have your wife do the same thing without your oversight. Number three, compare your list with her list and discuss why you both answered the way that you did whether you answer the same or whether they are different. Number four, this is the final one. Take the notes you both made and share them with a couple that you trust, asking them to help you. If you're serious about your marriage and your marriage needs help, this could be the most radical and revolutionary article, podcast, video. Go to our website. You can print it off. Uh, and you can scratch it up and make those circles around the various words. You can have a meaningful conversation. Again, the title of it is, What Does Nourish and Cherish Your Wife Mean? Thank you so much. God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.